0: brother 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 podcast i'm your host Wyndham lewis and i'm here with my brother jeremy sartori it is a brother brother podcast for the moment there may be a guest uh appearance by christian later on um today we are taking the sad news of alan rankin's death along with the new release of a a bell and sebastian album late developers uh as a as a excuse to talk about early Bell and Sebastian. So, um, uh, and, uh, we'll tie that back to Alan Rankin as we talk, but, um, between the two of us, Jared, um, Bell and Sebastian came to me through you when we were both, you know, really had our ear to the ground. You were, um, living in Austin, Texas. I was living in New York city. And I do remember though, that it was you that made the introduction very early on in the tiger milk era. So, uh, why don't you tell me how they came to be in in your relationship with this band?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's a you know. Let me hold it. Let me like unbutton my cardigan here and uh, <clears throat> put my um, reading glasses on. But um, you know, this is a a band that you know is is near and dear to us. Um, I kind of was had, had taken a break, we'll say, from college and was living in Austin. And um, my girlfriend at the time had a a good friend visiting, and she was actually in university at, at BU. Uh, um, funny enough, and had Belle and Sebastian with her, and, and she was sort of an you know indie rock gal, and, and um, had some cool music. So we were talking about music, and I'd seen these album covers in record stores. So you know they're they're very iconic and, and very eye catching, especially if you were ever a fan of The Smiths or, or Morrissey. It has that same sort of feel of that. Um, you know, I guess early '60s, uh, you know, kind of art film look that were very stylized,
0: but there wasn't, yeah, very, you know, very sort of, um, you know, Andy Warhol factory derivative yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, That's and there the was wave as well, but
1: there was no way of telling back then, too. And this, so, sorry, this is circa, you know, '96, '97, um, and like there was no way of telling what the hell that meant right you know you, you didn't have any access there was no internet or streaming or, or maybe there potentially was at that point uh but i was not on that 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 so i'd see that sort of waterloo records the iconic record store in in austin and um and then the name which is you know we having some ties to to euro folk you especially but um myself also you know going over there a bunch as a kid like um you know i, I knew kind of bell and sebastian the sort of stories and the the um you know, kind of like an Oblix. Character. Yeah, comic characters like you know, Tintin or Oblix and, you know, Asterix or something. But um, I'd never read them. So I was I was curious. And, you know, I'll, I'll say, you know, to my fault at this time, I was sort of prided myself in, in musical identity, right? Sort of identified as the music you like and the high fidelity way of like trying to be cool. And um, and I was very much into a Dinosaur Jr. mode and, and then kind of creeping into some of the, the early alt country so this music to me was, was, you know, almost discerning in the sense that it was so sensitive and light yet like really smart and really catchy. Um, and probably the same way in high school, you know, that I, I loved the the Smiths, but didn't really throw them on at parties much. <laughs> it wasn't exactly, uh, you know, break it out. So I remember hearing if you're feeling sinister and, um, and just immediately being like, this is like, a song about stars of track and field and Terry Cloth, you know, shorts. Um, but there's something here that's, that's pretty amazing. And, and especially when you hit track two, seeing other people and, and things like that. And, and I think, you know, back then we would communicate mostly via actual phone calls, landlines, that is. Um, and I'd given you a call on one of our sort of weekly or bi weekly calls and being like, you got to hear this band. I think you're going to really like them.
0: Yeah. I mean, I remember that, and um, well, just to go back and, and sort of give the history of the band, the uh, you know the sort of mainstay songwriter leader of the band is a guy called Stuart Murdoch, um, and the band's been around since '94 in loose configurations. Um, you know, even when I read about them early on, it seemed like they were a loose confederation of people rather than a, a rock band. But in in you know uh, contrary to that. Um, sensibility that they really projected. They have been a unit now for uh, the past, you know, twenty plus years. I mean, it, with you know, zero comings and goings. Um, early on, they were Stuart Murdoch and um, uh, Stuart uh, David. Stuart David, who you know met in in a uh, music program for or a program for unemployed musicians at. Uh, um, uh it's called it was called Beatbox. <laughs> Which is so uh, was
1: a, the, so <laughs> government program, especially <laughs> in like the UK, you know, it's like um, Yeah but come, the funny thing was beatbox. is it was over
0: overseen this this particular program, Beatbox, the uh you know unemployed musicians on the dole, um was uh overseen by Alan Rankin, the late Alan Rankin who died um uh, you know in twenty twenty three within the last two weeks uh, who was the um, primary, or or you know, one of the two primary um, uh, musicians in a band called the Associates? Who was always kind of that band that you knew of, but didn't know if you were, um, you know, in the in the early '80s. I they I had them on some mixtapes. I don't think I ever owned an album by them, but they had some really cool singles. And you know, you would you would easily, um, you know, with the the goings on of the music industry back then, they could easily have been fill in the blank they could have easily have been tears for fears they could easily right. have been the creation you know or, you know. no no this is early 80s this oh, oh is, sorry um, yeah 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 right the, this, this is sort early, of new wave this is, mo- yeah, yeah this was very yeah. electronic uh, you know they could have easily been omd they could have easily been you know any of those bands heaven i mean heaven 17 owes a huge debt to them um but you know they were contemporaries of you know say the human league and heaven 17 and and uh Tears for Fears and all those bands in in 81 82 and they were charting in England but they weren't uh they never really cracked the U.S. but um again Alan Rankin rest in peace but he was um you know following uh his years with the uh, associates he uh took over a um (laughs) beatbox the uh (laughs) um you know The fledgling, Uh, unemployed musicians where Stuart David and Stuart Murdoch met. And then, um, you know, through some various, you know, it's not a big town, Glasgow. And, um, so, you know, various musicians they had seen and they all kind of hung out at the same pub. And so they wind up recruiting, uh, Stevie Jackson, um, Chris Geddes, Richard Colburn, uh, Richard Colburn in particular, who... by chance happened to have been had signed up for something called uh, a course about uh, the business of music um, at this in the same um, you know vicinity in the same sort of web of programming and um, again for unemployed art school students essentially and he convinced uh, after hearing a couple of the tracks that uh, Stuart Murdoch had written he convinced his class which annually um elected a you know an album or a couple of singles and then they minted them and marketed them as part of their classwork and voila there's tiger milk yeah um, which they, was
1: 94 which right a,
0: it was a little bit after that but they took it out to a bunch of labels and everybody kind of jumped at once and yeah. so they wound up having a uh you know um you know, something of a bidding war for their services and were able to dictate a lot of the things that they would and wouldn't do. and um, Which is really amazing
1: at the time. Sorry to interrupt, but I mean, this is sort of in hindsight, like I said, when we first kind of stumbled upon this band, it was kind of mysterious and you had to look for, you know, articles. They were definitely becoming a kind of critic darling pretty quickly. It wasn't like we we stumbled onto an unknown by any means, but like, it was something that, you know, we weren't willing to sort of, or I wasn't willing at the time to to spend $20 on to take the chance until I heard it. And when I did, I was glad I did. But then, you know, Tiger Milk was released in 96 in the U S so we, we didn't catch that. But I I always thought it it was really fascinating kind of going back and and looking at the fact that they, to your point, like when labels were after them, you know, was it like no pictures, right? No, um, Mm
0: -hmm. no press, no pictures. Um, and, uh, and no singles. Yeah. Um, so marketing them would have been impossible given the, you know, the construct of the business at that point, you know, the, as particularly with the British press being what it was, you know, you, you sort of, you know, you leak fun, you know, this was the height of the era when you sort of, you know, leak stories yeah, about, you know, and... S- Stuart Murdoch says he's going to be, you know, bigger than Iron Maiden, you know, <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, that becomes, or, you know, whatever you find, an egomaniac like the le- you know Gallagher brothers or egomaniacs like, you know, Pete Do- Doherty or, or you know, anybody who likes to cause trouble. And these guys were the opposite. They wanted to not be known. And it turned out in the long run to be a great ploy. Um, I think they got their fame on their own um, terms and, and uh, they were able, you know, again, they their first two records out on an on a indie label out of Scotland called Jeepster, which, um, you know, from what I gather, you know, was basically created to accommodate them almost. I mean, I think they were their first releases as Jeepster, but um, you know, I think like factory with new order, I think they were able to, you know, grow up with the label and then branch out without, um, you know, really doing much damage to their personal relationships. Even the people that have left the band, um, I yeah, know, they this... yeah, they seem to return. Yeah, they return, but they're also you know they're talking heads in the documentaries talking about how great these guys are. Right. Um, no, definitely. And and so you know they've really and again like for a band that was you know to a person they seem to say in the early on that they that none of them wanted to be in the band and yet here we are in uh 2023 and they're still touring they're still putting out records and. Only really three of them um, dropped out, and it was, I think, peaceful on all accounts. So it's a it was, in fact, it's Loose Federation that it was uh, dreamt up to be, but at the same time, it was it turned into a pretty significant unit. And I think, you know, when you talk about the first three records, um, which is, you know, a lot of people would will, will talk about Tiger Milk, and If You Are Feeling Sinister, their first proper album, um as sort of a, a one and two, as sort of a, an era, um, because first of all these albums were put out within several months of each other, but also um, because this was the sort of finding your your sound, and then people, um, you know, the the I think collective wisdom is that uh, boy with the Arab Strap is not as. Uh, um, remarkable as the first two. And I would I would challenge that. I know that you're more fond of the first two, but I, I think the third record and the, the first sort of professionalized version of uh, Bell and Sebastian, Boy with the Airstrap, is, is one of my favorite records of all time. And, and I think it's really on par with the other two. I think it's,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I tend to find it kind of a silly argument and we talk about this with certain bands. It's like, you know, Surfer Rosa, Doolittle, or... Um, you know, bug and you're living all over me with with uh, dinosaur bands like that, but um you know, radiohead bends and okay and things like you know so uh, you know to me, I think what happens is you just fall in love with what you hear first. also, just to kind of go back a little bit, you know, Stuart Murdoch had been suffering from you know what now is called um fatigue syndrome. fatigue syndrome chronic yeah, and so he had been kind of a shut-in, you know, from twenty one to twenty two um and had written you know a lot of lyrics so there there was sort of a world created i mean the first single off tiger milk which is or the first song i should say they didn't do singles but the first song on that album is is the state that i'm in which is this you know sort of epically hilarious story and um you know he mixed a lot of like religious stuff and sexual tension and and kind of boys and girls and and young people but very literate at the same time and and uh And if you're feeling sinister, I think sort of cleaned up Tiger Milk's uh, messier edges, which are are pretty, you know, amazing for a a first shot, right? I mean, the fact that these guys had access to studios from Beatbox and, and, um, (laughs) you know, just were sort of a collective of musicians sitting around, it wasn't so much like, to your point, like the people in the band want, the other people in the band um, wanted to be in a band that sounded even like this. It was just that he happened to have songs already. And, and, you know, in a very clear idea of what those songs should sound like but you know it was i think a, a kind of cool era in indie because it was a time where like this sort of return to you know love era you know um 60s kind of psychedelic stuff and you got to say like Olivia tremor control was around this period too. Um, and you know, the, the elephant six stuff where it was these really intricate orchestrations that were not yeah. shied away from, you know, that, that hadn't really like, as I mentioned, I was listening to a lot of dinosaur junior sonic youth and things like that at the time, which was pretty much guitars and amps and pedals. Um, this was strings and horns and, um, you know, full on kind of orchestrated music, which was, was really cool. Chamber pop basically.
0: Right. I think there's an interesting parallel too between like, you know, there was the classic rock era that you know was apparently blown to pieces by punk, and then you know there was the grunge era and followed by Britpop, where, you know, there were two sort of uh, not similar sounds but two um, prevailing sounds simultaneously. Um, you know, grunge and Britpop were were fairly simultaneous. And, you know, the business went in and signed everybody who wore a flannel shirt in Seattle and everybody who, you know, buttoned their top button in in England at the same, you know, at the same time. And so there was this, you know, there was this gold rush. And from that, and I think in the same way that, you know, punk and classic rock kind of had this eruption and what came out of it was several years of of really weird experimental things that became popular because they were, because nobody really knew what to do. And and so certain things gained exposure. I mean, I watched a documentary the other night about Gary Newman and, you know, you think about where that sound came out of 1980 Mm -hmm. and it just sounded otherworldly. And I think the same thing happened here where, you know, there was a lot of backward looking in terms of, you know, elephant six celebrating, um you pet know the, and things like the that. zombies and pet sounds and and uh um things of that nature but also you know there was stuff like odalé came out in 96 right. and was just fucking weird but it was huge yeah no it's I true mean, it, and it i think it makes sense
1: you know the songs that when i first heard if you're feeling sinister you know the songs that really popped out of me are the, you know the second track seeing other people which is a, an all-time great and then Get me away from here! I'm dying. And and those are pretty simple pop songs, mm-hmm. really, you know. But they they weren't afraid to be simple, and they weren't afraid to be delicate. And you know, they got sort of the nickname of like twee pop and things like that, which I have no idea what even I guess what that means. But like, it was just this kind of um, sensitivity. And I don't mean that in like uh, no, it was these a because the lyrics of are biting Ooh. and they're funny. It was literate. Yeah, it was. It was really literate. It was. It was. But it was also like. Almost delicate to a degree, but at the same time yeah, was, like had kind of a music you know,
0: by people who read Evelyn Waugh for people who read Evelyn Waugh. Right.
1: Exactly. <laughs> um but you know, to your point about I think when the boy in the Arab Shrub came out and probably is kind of it is usually it's funny it is sort of left out of people talking about the classic albums and and you'll you'll always see if you're feeling sinister and, and then at times see Tiger Milk and I think Tiger Milk is just such a, a pretty over ambitious. Um, it's, it's a pretty
0: bold statement for yeah a first for a completely record. independent. And, and if I may just you know throw one additional fact in there, they recorded that demo, took it to record labels and the record label they went with jeepster put out the demo they didn't right. re-record any of yeah them. there's
1: nothing exactly and i think with um boy with the arab strap you ended up you know in the u.s signing to matador who released all their albums in the u.s and i think still does and um and yeah they are still on matador and so that matador at the time too you know this was pavement this was you know a, a mm-hmm. place where indie rock kind of you know really kind of came to be in the 90s so um so i think there was a bit of a letdown and, and you know like the you know not remembering her name the, the girlfriend's friend who from bu you know she was ahead of the curve on this band so you know i would say like she had these albums before Arab Strap came out, so it'd be the same as you know you and I kind of loving Slant and Shannon, which I swear is a better album. But um, but you know a lot of people love Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain because that's what they hear.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree, and and you know the the mythology around this, and there are you know this is the kind of band that people take very personally, and that people feel great proprietorship in because Definitely. it is, and and you know I mean I it, I will give my litany on on their um, you know their uh, their reach is a live band, um, and uh, which I've always been kind of lukewarm on. And but when you go, it's it's like, you know, you see groups of people who lived for this moment. Yeah, there's year. there's
1: a lot of librarians that are really <laughs> really excited at a Bell and Sebastian show, um, or grad students or whatever. But it's it's like a um, you're you know you're right at you're at home English majors right. So, um, mm-hmm. but it's I think too like you know, it's one of those things and, and that just doesn't happen anymore and really can't. I mean, it's not even sort of like back in our day, it was cooler or better. It just has changed. It's not for better or for worse. But, you know, I would read an article and say Mojo or something or, you know, um, Merlin Stone even or, you know, whatever was available or uh, some pop fanzine or something and, you know, Nick Drake would be mentioned who I knew of, Mm -hmm. but didn't know, you know, and, and then I, my boss at the time had a Nick Drake box set. So I borrowed it and taped it, you know, and that's like Mm -hmm. how you had to kind of find the influences and and sort of play connect the dots. And then the fact that these guys, like, I had no idea what they looked like, you know, I had no idea what, um, there's no band shots. There's no, you know, um, anything really. So you know what the imagery
0: surrounding them was, which was actually more powerful in a way. Um you know right. there's uh you know, it was like when I discovered the Smiths and Yep um and I'll, you know, go jump in the Wayback Machine. But I mean the first time I ever heard This Charming Man was on WICB radio in Ithaca and I didn't know what the song was, I didn't know who the band was, and I didn't have the internet to type in partials of lyrics, so I went out looking for a song called Haven't Got a Stitch to Wear. Um, you know, and was unsuccessful. And then I wound up marrying this information with an article, with a very small like sidebar I read in Rolling Stone, I believe, um, that described um, you know, the Smith's sound and kind of put two and two together and figured out that it was the Smith's and then went out and discovered the Smith's had this very sort of mysterious um, you know, iconography. They, They, you know, went back and and you know burnish their records with old photos and and it was cool and I liked it and it was my kind of aesthetic but it was you know and that became the band that I felt very uh I felt a great ownership of also you know because I was there before anybody else was and um you know that there that goes a long way um when you're when you're in that discovery mode I mean um discovery was such a huge part of of what we used to have to do as music fans. And I and I think that's, um, you know, I think that's one of the reasons, like I said, that and the subject matter and the sort of sensitivity and the literate nature of of their lyrics. But that's one of the reasons why people are so dedicated to this act.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, you know, and I, I actually, I think I referenced it on a recent pod where I had listened to Ben Giver from the Death Cab do, talking about Teenage Fan Club in, in the same way. And it was sort of like, he heard bandwagon ask and it was just something that was dear to him, you know, and a lot of it was because it was his and he found it. And, you know, he mentioned, which I think we agree with. It's amazing to be able to pick up my phone and be like, you know, um, who did you send over today? Which was a huge influence for Bell and Sebastian. The left bank. Right. The left bank. Right. Which I had not actually heard or maybe I had, but I had forgotten about. And you're like, Oh man, this is like, a blueprint, right? This is what they wanted to sound like. And, um, and that's awesome to be able to do that in one swoop, but there was a kind of proprietary ownership and, and then the fact that you could turn other people onto it, whether it was, you know, me and you kind of going back and forth, which we did for many, many years and still do, or a friend, you know, who, um, maybe hadn't gotten into this kind of music or or something like that, that you could kind of turn on and, and uh and they didn't tour to... much back then either at all really did they i mean they I can't didn't remember. at all early yeah because i didn't see them till probably i want to say 06 or you know maybe yeah i think around 06 or 05 i,
0: I think i, I want to say i saw them in 2002 um, okay at the orpheum but they were they started off playing the orpheum you know what I mean? Yeah. wasn't... Well, because build, they built
1: this kind of underground following. They built was. an army
0: before they built a, a live act. Yep. And that showed. I mean, it was, they weren't the greatest... The first time I saw them, I was very... Um, it was probably the best I saw them, but it was still like sitting through a recital to a degree. Like, you couldn't... You, weren't, you shouldn't talk. And uh, if you did, you were probably interrupting everybody around you. Um, it was... Uh, it was weird. I have one little, uh, I one recollection from that was that there was this. I was in probably the fourth row. I took my wife and it um, would at a theater, and um, there was a guy in front of me who full on mohawk, full on like Harvard Square punk get-up, and the guy was raging like he was at a you know. At a Black Flag show back in the day. <laughs> or, you know, I mean, he, could, he like couldn't mosh dance pit. the way he was yeah. accustomed to dancing. So yeah. they were playing like, you know, don't leave the light on, baby, or whatever. And he's like, you know, fist pumping and screaming, you know, like you know giving him the devil horns and it was just it was kind of awesome um that's great i didn't understand it but it, it sticks out you know there's always yeah yeah i just get like this guy was so out of place but he was so into it uh-huh. um anyway uh the, the funny thing and then going back again to the the left bank the funny thing about the left bank was that you know i knew their one hit which is don't walk away renee which is been covered a gazillion times and and everybody kind of knows it but don't nobody. it's you know kind of like the association or something like nobody knows who who sings it um which in retrospect i would never think of don't walk away renee as being similar to a bell and sebastian song but in the context of the album that it was on all of the other stuff really sounds like bell and sebastian and the funny thing is there is one notable alum from the left bank who went on to uh Front, one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time. Would you care to venture a guess at who that is, Jesus,
1: Where were the Left Bank from, may I ask? Because I don't know.
0: Uh, New York City. Okay, so they're in New York. Greenwich Village. Front? Uh, I will give you 10,000 guesses. Give me a genre. (laughs) I will give you 10,000 guesses and you won't get it.
1: Okay, well then, let's... I'm going to just say, uh, you know... I have no idea. Go for it.
0: Michael McKean was in... The Left Bank, Michael yeah. McKean, who later became David St. Hubbins of Spinal Tap fame.
1: Oh, nice.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was yeah, actually that... <laughs> I remember, he was a guitar player for The Left Bank. So uh, before he was Lenny on Laverne and Shirley, before he was on um, um, Better Call Saul, before he was in any number of things. But
1: uh, I assumed it was yes. kind of a metal ish genre, but I did not, Spinal Tap did not cross my mind. So that's well, it's a, kind of
0: funny now great. that you know that and you think about the. The interludes in Spinal Tap, where they go back to their early days oh, yeah, of being the, in like yeah, the 10s Which is basically and, the left and, bank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And listen to what the flower people are saying. It's kind yeah. of there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I need to watch that movie again. It's so good. Um, yeah. No, so I mean, I think another thing that's kind of funny too with the release of Late Developers, which just came out and um, this Friday, which kind of spurred this conversation is. You know there's there's bands that you adore and like you said the the lineup really i don't think has changed since '02 or '03. so it's you know you pretty much have the fundamental uh you know at least a few members from from beatbox uh stuart david leaving isabel campbell going on to, to have a solo career and, and um playing with mark Lanigan, rest in peace but you know it's also a band that we sort of have gone in and out of right and I, i'm always mm-hmm. curious to like get people's take we both listen to the new album and we can talk about that in a minute but you know a band that survives this long so we're talking late 90s um i'm certainly if i'm even i'm not 21 at that point um so i'm probably 1920 ish and uh you're you know well into your 20s and then we're talking 2023 so what happens when that happens i mean i don't think this band what? is has gotten bad that's that's not the case
0: no it's like a lot of bands though that that continue to put out stuff. i mean it's it's all good stuff i mean you take a band like guided by voices right different slightly different yeah yeah but i mean even you know pixies or dinosaur you know they they continued to put out stuff long after what i think is their great stuff but i think this is a band that understands what their great stuff is too yeah Um, and i
1: think they had a kind of resurgence so i I would say they sort not resurgence but you know we have the the three that we talked about, which was certainly
0: well. Then I think the you know we had catastrophe waitress in O three, yeah, which is you know pretty close in with that other stuff. And then yeah, you're have, right.
1: That isn't that's only about three years after fold your
0: hands. Storytelling was O2, which is the Todd Solon soundtrack. Soundtrack, yeah, it's pretty good. You know, I mean, all things considered, but it's a you know it definitely is written to a mm-hmm. um, you know film, and um, and then you know they're sort of. Uh, you know, they're, they're sort of automatic for the people moment after putting out, you know, um, was The Life Pursuit in 07.
1: Right, and which I um, think is a great know, album, yeah.
0: It is, it is, but it does remind me a little bit of that REM kind of, you know, first three albums are great, second couple after that are good, you know? And yeah. Then, and then, you know, there's one uh a couple of years later that is
1: the kind um, of like switches lanes a little bit too yeah it's not...
0: and also just jumps off the um timeline rather than you know it sort of stands out as probably their third best album
1: yeah well it's funny um when you talk That's about like pursuit, pursuit and the um the sort of um isabel campbell left by them but you know, it, it was produced by Tony Hoffer, who did Beck Squaro, Airs, 10,000, Legend, Supergrass's Life on Other Planet. You know, so this was definitely, and it was recorded in L.A., um, hmm. which is something that, because I was just kind of flipping through some of the, the records and going back
0: in time a little bit. It's, um, it's very Motowny y too. Like, yeah. other I mean, stuff is informed by Motown. This sounds like Motown.
1: Well, it's funny, too, with Bell and Sebastian, because we were talking earlier, like singles like Boy with the Arab Strap and... and um, off of that, that um, great album, which I know is your favorite, actually. So some of their songs always had a little bit of swing to them, you know, whether you want to call mm-hmm. it kind of like a Northern Soul or, or um, yeah, you know, Northern Motown song. or, you know, hand clapping. And, and you know, they're not necessarily <clears throat> Shake Your Ass songs, but they are uh, Shuffle Your Feet songs, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is probably best. But yeah, so that that's interesting. Um, Life's Pursuit, I think, kind of did flip it. And then again, like, you, you know, there's albums like... Uh, they really kind of took a few gaps in between too. So you have like "Write About Love" and "Girls" and "Peacetime" want to dance, um, which all get fairly critical acclaim, but but tend to kind of I just sort of drop and there's in only, and out. There's only you know,
0: three albums in the two thousand tens, right? And I think that you know they were having kids and families and and I think you know, doing other stuff too, and, some
1: other soundtracking yeah. and and um, you know some of those like uh festival like curated festivals i know they did it over in europe and things like that too so Only weekend and yeah well let's um let's listen to a little bill and sebastian and then i'd love to just do a brief late developers and then talk about some other things that we're excited about coming out was that how's that sound
0: sounds perfect all right
2: cool i was surprised i was happy for it in 1975 I was puzzled by a dream that stayed with me all day in 1995 My brother had confessed he was gay it took the heat of me for a while He stood up with a sailor friend made it known upon my sister's wedding day got married in a rush To save a kid from being deported Now she's in love Oh, oh, oh I was so touched I was moved to kick the crutches From my crippled friend and she was done on the Sabbath I went to confess when she saw the fire
1: back to the brother 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 pod and today it's win and i and we're um talking about bell and sebastian and we're going to talk about late developers the new album that just came out uh friday actually so win um you know this is a band that we just kind of went over how much we like and and sort of their their history and and we are definitely anchored to the past and with these guys you know we're, we're big fans of the first three and and uh fans of everything but but definitely those three hit us at a time that that kind of changed our uh trajectory music wise so what do you uh what do you think of the new one
0: i think it's good you know i mean it's you know that's you know i don't want to damn them with faint praise but i you know i have given it exactly you know one and a half spins so I'll, i'll have to uh delve in a little further but you know it it definitely um you know keeps the ship afloat and um you know this is again, after putting out three records in 10 years, in the past 10 years, they've put out two in the past two years here. Um, so this is pretty rapid succession uh, comparatively. And so I think there might be a, uh, you know, there might be a creative, um, you know, sort of spell here. What what are your thoughts? Because I know you've delved deeper into it than I have. Yeah, I've
1: listened to it more than you have for sure. But, um, you know, I think similarly, I mean, you know, here's a band that now is. with us for more than 20 years and a lot more and uh like you said you can definitely sense in the last two albums but this one you know kind of a continuation of the last one that there is they they had some pent-up desire to to make some music again and and, you know he i know that originally this was actually supposed to be recorded again in la but they decided to scrap that and, and put together you know everything in glasgow due to covid um, what I noticed about this one right off the bat and I'd say the things that I like about it is it kind of captures where they were and what they've become, you know, so okay. there's and not in a way that sounds, you know, kind of repetitive or, or trite or kind of you're doing the same old, same old, Derivative, but you get yeah. the sort of 60s folky, you know, kind of lyrical songs, but you also have some of that Motown stuff that we were just talking about where it lacks for me. And and again, not a knock is, I just found the lyrics really captivating early on, you know, um, even mm-hmm. songs like, you know, stru- you know, the opener for Arab strap, like could have been a brilliant career or summer wasting, or, you know, those songs, like just the, the storytelling within those songs to me was, mm-hmm. was kind of magical, to be honest. Um, these are more, you know, tackle a lot of the same subjects. Right. But definitely don't, they have a distance to them. Yeah, they have a distance. And, you know, I mean, that goes for everybody. It takes you your whole life, as they say, to write your first album. And, and uh, certainly with Stuart uh, Murdoch, he was, you know, in bed a lot of it. So, um, or you mm-hmm. know, not tired and writing. He was an stuff, observer. So, right. And and you very much get that. It feels like somebody kind of observing a world around them and, and creating kind of these, like, stories where this is more active. Um, but I think as far as, like, a, you know, a quick-paced 45-minute album... You know, I'm gonna say, unfortunately, my guess is I will listen to it here and there, but probably won't like you know stick with me as much. And I probably will end up throwing on if you're feeling sinister when I want to hear Bell and Sebastian. <laughs> but yeah. but our life's pursuit. But um, but you know, I still like it's a brand that I'm always happy. You know, like you mentioned some other ones like Dino and GBV that like still do music really well, and and mm-hmm. that is you know always good. Like I'm not gonna not listen to a new Bell and Sebastian album.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, speaking of new albums, what there's been uh, a handful of new releases during the new year. What what's striking your fancy?
1: Yeah, I mean the one that I've really kind of you know listened to a little bit is um, just because I'm you know she's also playing here in February is Margot Price's new record. Um, so it's it's I you know there's a bunch of like pending stuff that you know Yola Tango um white reaper white reaper which is also they're also going to be coming to town what the hell is the name of the new margo price record though sorry i'm like my um
0: it's something very simple
1: yeah i know i was like i uh i am i'm gonna find it real quick but give me some of yours too i know uh rihanna paramore who i'm not a huge fan of but my kids like um you know sam smith uh You know, there's Caroline Pulacek has a new one coming out.
0: Yeah, she's she's an interesting. She's pretty cool. She's been around for a while, doing a lot of different things. And you know, I mean, it's funny. I saw a quote from her the other day saying that you know people are comparing her to Kate Bush and to knock it off because there's only one Kate Bush. But you know, it's you know taking it as high praise, but you know not feeling um, worthy. But you know, she's done some really cool shit. And you know, and and. And uh, I, she almost feels like like a New York version of Charlie XCX, you know what I mean? There's
1: yeah, uh, she's sonically definitely, and uh, I think she's pretty. But interesting also, girl. I
0: think like just in terms of writing, producing, performing, she does it all. Yep, and you know there is. Um, I want to say she might have produced one of Simon's records, but I'm not 100% oh, sure. Wow. Maybe she I think you might be too.
1: somebody we knew, because I remember there being some sort of connection there and being like, wow, you know, like she kind of does touch touch all over. Yeah, um, but
0: I think there's also like there's the sort of high art, low art thing, uh, or you know, that's a terrible way to put it, but, you know, there's the pop, um, and then there's the, the sort of uh, more indie, you know, uh, critic, cred. darling kind of... Um, but I think, you know, I think there is something, you know, I'm interested to see what she, where her career goes, because I think she's wildly talented and or I know she is, but, um, and then, you know, my, one of my, you know, favorite bands the last several years, um, unapologetically is uh white Reaper and they have a new record coming out. I love the album art. I love the spirit of that band. And I hope that the new record is, is really good. I think, the last album was a tiny bit of a. It was swing a swing for the. Yeah. It was, but it was also kind of a tiny bit of a swing for the. Uh, for uh, widespread popularity. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. hence the I, fact that they're going to be playing the Royale, <laughs> it did not happen. So. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, no, I remember hearing that uh, song a bunch of the single a bunch of times when I was in Buenos Aires a couple of years ago, and I was like, oh shit, White Reaper made it, and then um, realizing that it really hadn't you know, uh, translated in the same way. I think they, they toned down too much and, um, you know. It lost some of the
1: garage rock and had a little too much of the 80s slick, you know, kind of. Yeah. I mean, they, they do rock and roll really well and whether you want to call it kind of a, a play on hair metal or in a garage band or whatever. Um, Glam rock, yeah. Glam I mean, rock, yeah, yeah, sorry. In both like, of its iterations, I Yeah, guess. which I guess is kind of like, you know, glam rock became hair metal in my world but like it it, you know in terms of like the timing you know that's what it sort of like was based Mm -hmm. off of and and um but so yeah i think i agree with you i'm excited for this one too and I, i think other albums that i'm excited for is you know cracker island which is just a great name for an album um gorillas is coming out this year and the big miley. guys are gonna be like you know miley cyrus obviously and shania twain is gonna have a new album and oh, wow. um iggy already had album which i haven't listened to but um yeah. will be i'm sure uh you know iggy ish and good and getting some good reviews Yola tango like an all-time you know always favorite and another indie Darlene, who you and I have not quite caught on to, but I know is, is just a huge indie darling. is Mac DeMarco, will also
0: be releasing a new album. Um,
1: um,
0: yeah, well, Strays is the uh, Margot praise Strays, record. I know, I found it too. To I was see, just going to win in there. Yeah. I <laughs> I, um, I actually, I listened to it, uh, I know you had your trepidations, I um, I understand, but I actually really kind of, when I, and again, I'm on my first, second listen to that record, but I... I I think it might be going places you know i think i like it um quite a bit and we'll see if it settles into that into that space i'm gonna, you know, gonna i'm gonna sort of double season.
1: down on that thought because i um well first of all you had sent me kind of the blurb i'd seen she was playing and she's playing the paradise here in boston which is a pretty small club so i was kind of like oh that could be cool you know and um not really knowing like where margot price sits in the stratosphere to be honest I know she's very critically acclaimed, but I don't really know like what her fan base is, size of you know that type of thing. And then you know the blurb on her, you know her and her husband, I think, is a Jeremy Ivy or Jeremy yep. um, who plays with her and, and uh, you know going down and, and taking a lot of drugs, <laughs> acid and, and mushrooms, and and kind of bringing in that like sounds like sort of late seventies rock, you know, Springsteen slash All My Brothers kind of feel to it. I was pretty excited. And then I listened to the first couple singles. And I think, out of context, they just didn't do it for me.
0: Yeah, Um, I think they bleed. I think there's like a heaviness to the writing that is bled out by the production a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then when I was the other night, you know, cooking, I threw on the album from start to finish. And it was just a totally different experience. You know, it it fits Mm -hmm. in as an album. And even the singles still stood out as probably my least favorite songs on there, which is strange. But, because usually that's not the case with somebody putting out stuff, but um, but I actually thought the album like just sound-wise and, and kind of direction-wise was much cooler sounding than I thought. So I'm excited to give it some more spins too, and I think probably we'll try and make that show, which would be good.
0: Yeah, I agree. So um, all right, well, you want to take a quick break and and then um, come back, and end this how we always end these things. Let's do it. All right.
3: how to be a little cool He's changing fashion The way he dressed Attracted to old, but the hoodie's where the moody For the kid with the will to funk He dances in secret He's a part-time punk Now she's getting off the plane She wants to write a thesis On the population on the The kids fighting up the lane. The shop lifting, just drifting like the switchblade on the crossbow. If there's trouble, she's got the moves. She's taking an elementary class in Kung Fu. I left my washing in the laundrette. You can put some money on it. You can place a little bet that when I see my. The black will be grey and the white will be grey But the blues is
0: still blue I'm crying out for my mama. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Uh, we are talking today about Bell and Sebastian and some other new releases. But, um, Jared, that brings a question to mind for me. And that question being, what are you listening to?
1: Uh, wow. Like It's a pretty surprising question. So give me a second here. But um, yeah, so I'm going to go with a couple music things. And then um, I'm going to jump back into a, a television thing too. So I'll try and be kind of brief. But I've been on a bit of a, a throwback time machine myself. And um, I listened to Start to Finish U2's joshua tree and octung baby the other night i was working late i'm doing a dry january so i was just like trying to kind of find things that uh you know like to listen to and and that i hadn't heard in a while that could kind of be background music that i knew every minute of and um it was just kind of fun to like go back and listen there just isn't that sort of rock band anymore right that that king of the world kind of rock band and and uh I was always very, and you and I have talked about this, like Joshua Tree was very much in both of our faces and unwantingly at the time, um, you know, in the late 80s there. But I've gone back and, and listened to it a lot, and, and I don't need to ever listen to that album again. I know every track on it, just by osmosis. It's not even like I had to own it. But I uh, I am just kind of always impressed with that record when I go back and listen to it. It's just a fucking really good record. And, and uh, things that I didn't pick up on, you know, more as a... a young when i was younger when it came kid. out like yeah very much a kid i was thinking like sixth grade or something but the uh production is just really good you know and uh yeah. and the sounds on that and then octung baby which i was actually really excited about when it came out and i was uh, also a kid but and i think freshman year of high school or so um what a cool turn still you know you go back and listen to that album and it's a really accessible pop album but it was risky at the time and it was um just huge and big and, and kind of fun and and took on like it was you just remember 90 or 91 when that came out like it kind of was this sort of optimism right in this future that was kind of really bright and and um and i think nobody did that better than you too right yeah i mean that was like the tour and those singles and and just that album start to finish but that was the thing i kind of noticed too i hadn't really listened to that album start to finish and it just kicks off and doesn't stop. It's, it's a really it's great really record and I actually like it better than, than Josh. I think it's probably their best record still for me. But um, anyways, and then I got on like a bit of a just nostalgia kick and listened to Smashing Pumpkin, the daydream again, which, you know, I never need to listen to again either, but I, the rockers rock on that. I, some of the other stuff like disarm, it still makes me cringe, but the rockers are great. Um, but as far as television and getting back to the, 2023 i did watch um the last of us last night the new hbo drama based on video game and um of the same name i think and and i don't play video games so i have no idea what that means but i i you know love dystopia and and, um you know i can do zombies and you know diseases and pandemics as well so um Good cast. It's it's good. You know, the first episode, I'm definitely going to watch another one. I was saying prior that, it, it. you know, I watched Walking Dead when it first came out. My um And I, you know, wa- watched uh, the more recent miniseries, Station Eleven. And it just seems like kind of a, a highbrow Walking Dead and, and a less, you know, kind of drama and already focused um, Station Eleven. But we'll see where it goes. But so far, you know, and a little bit of like Children of Men mixed in there, right? Um, yeah. So... It could be really good. I don't think it's going to be bad um, off the pilot in the first episode here. I definitely don't. It just, it just depends on how much it captures me to keep going with it, like a lot of shows these days. So um, I, I recommend it. Check it out when you get a chance, and uh, I want to hear what you have to think.
0: Yeah. I am excited to see it. It was Pedro Pascal um, in Walking Dead. I never watched Walking Dead.
1: He's the lead, right, who was also in Narcos and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, so um, no, he was not, no. The okay. guy who was in Walking Dead early was the guy from uh, We Own the City. and, and um, again, Oh, Berndal. His name. Yeah, yep. A show that got no credit this year, too, by the way. I still love We Own the I City. I know, that
0: is weird. I like that show a lot. Whenever
1: I think about um, it, I'm like, that was fucking good.
0: <laughs> yeah, I actually zip past it the other day when I was flipping through to see what to watch next, and I and wound up watching The Verdict last night by Paul Newman, or with Paul Newman. Nice. Pretty great movie, um, but uh, I have been I watched George and Tammy, the Showtime. Oh yeah, Christian um, Miniseries about uh, George Jones and Tammy Wynette. Um, it was shockingly watchable uh, for somebody who is not a huge. I love a rock and roll documentary, not as big of a uh, um, scripted rock history because I just they tend to be, you know greatest hits packages and and you know reenactments of of things that we've actually seen before um in george and tammy's case i guess i'm underexposed but i also you know other than um you know the the basic knowledge that he didn't show up a lot was drunk most of the time and the um they were a good country song is what you're saying yeah they were a hell of a good country song um and the anecdotal piece of him stealing his uh you know, getting his keys taken away and taking the rider mower into the liquor store, um, <laughs> which is highlighted. It's pretty uh, awesome. Other than that, though, I didn't really know as much. And, and from what I gather, um, Jessica Chastain and Michael Shannon do their own singing, which, you know, I it's think cool. uh, I think people overvalue that. But, you know, more power to them if they can do it. Um, I did think it was I thought it was better than I would have guessed and I would recommend it. I'm um, also halfway through uh, the book Trust by hernan diaz and i will report back because um it's a bit of a slog at the beginning not a slog necessarily but um it takes a little while to realize uh the literary stunt that's being pulled and when i say that i don't mean that in a disparaging way i mean that in uh um this is interesting um but i will like i said i will i'll fill you in when um, when I am fully on. And then I, I watched a couple of movies that I wasn't as hot on. Um, that are. That have the bones of good movies. But aren't uh, there. And that would be Babylon. Um, exciting. Fun. The guy can shoot the shit out of a movie. Uh, the guy being Damien Chazelle. Great. Um, you know. Great movie maker. And um, you know. Just a little light on. What are we doing here and why, and um, I don't mean that, you know, I don't think, I, if you have distracted me to the point where I'm not asking that question, then then good for you, but if you are putting something in front of me, and I'm wondering a lot about those questions, then, um, you know, <clears throat> there's a problem, I think, and um, that's what I would say about Babylon, also, I'm probably one of eight people that seems to have seen it. So, um, <laughs> that uh, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing the um, the HBO uh series that the, the yeah, check it out. That you just mentioned it's, um, it looks the like Last it could be this, a,
1: a good ride. Uh,
0: otherwise, um, I will withhold my comments on on uh, Hernan Diaz's much lauded trust until I have finished the book. But, um, you want to put a song on the um, eight trillion. Four hundred and seventy-two. Yeah, I'm going to do two,
1: actually, because um, I'm going to do two. And uh, I'm going to put the state that I'm in. We, we heard it earlier in the podcast. It's not on there. Um, wow. It's just kind of an epic song, and, and uh, I don't know why it's not on there. And uh, the other one I'm going to do is a little bit of a, a off one, so um, I think you'll appreciate it. But I'm going to put Johnny Come Home by The Fine Young Cannibals. Oh, um, sweet. I just really love that song. And, and, uh, you had turned me on to the, the, sorry, I didn't mention it earlier. And what, what are we listening to, but the Britannia reggae, reggae Britannia, uh, BBC doc, which I watched last night, um, as my girlfriend had food sickness and I was trying to find anything to watch to drown out the sound. So, um, uh, food poisoning, but, um, yeah. And it just reminded me of, you know, kind of not the Fine young cannibals or reggae, but just that sound that kind of, kind of blends in England sometimes. And, and, uh, and that's where I went with it. So Johnny come Ooh. on.
0: Johnny won't you come on home? One of the um, coolest yeah, voices the... In,
1: in singing too. I love that guy's voice.
0: He, yeah, Roland Gift was an interesting character. I mean he was an actor, he was a singer, and then he does seem to have disappeared, but something tells me he'll show up in a in a cop drama on Brit Box that I haven't seen yet at some <laughs> point. Um well, I was going to do a Bell and Sebastian one. The fact is, I can't remember if Seeing Other People is on there.
1: Uh, no, it isn't. Yeah, we only actually well, have... Putting, I want to say we have Arab Strap, and that's it.
0: Then we're putting um, Seeing Other People. Nice. Uh, uh, stat. And I can't believe it's not on there already. Um,
1: and if it is, I'll throw something else on for you. You can text me. But I'm pretty sure it yeah, is. I will.
0: One. All right. And um, actually... Um, I think I'm going to do Stand By Your Man as well by uh, Tammy Wynette. Oh, nice. Yeah.
1: Good call. All right. Well, uh, we look forward to uh, getting a little more frequent on the new year, and, uh, and I will talk, talk to you soon.
0: I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers Jeremy Sartorian Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.